We've just read an astonishing account of the miraculous, foundation-shaking power of God breaking through into this reality, shaking the foundations of a prison where two men pray and worship God. We read that after being severely beaten and thrown into the inner prison, shackled at the feet, at midnight, Paul and Silas pray and sing songs to God. Now, as they're singing, the miraculous takes place. An earthquake shakes the foundation of that prison. All the doors fling wide and everyone's chains are loosed. Now, as remarkable as this story is, is it not more remarkable that these two men found in a cold, dark prison, no doubt bodies still throbbing from the beating they've received, are found to be singing songs to God? How is that possible? How is it that in the midst of horrific circumstances, rather than lose all hope and just decide to give up on this Jesus thing, Paul and Silas decide to worship? Like surely this isn't the appropriate time to be singing worship songs, right? Surely in the midst of a global pandemic where we've been locked away in our homes for months on end, singing about the power and provision of God is silly, right? You know, I've always been amazed at the difference in the, the, the response and the disposition of the disciples of Jesus, both before and after his resurrection. What made fearful fishermen who, who deserted Jesus at the betrayal become bold proclaimers of the gospel? Or how about Peter, who denied Jesus before the cross? Now we see him after Jesus' resurrection, standing before the crowds with courage, unashamedly proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus. Well, there's two things, at least that I can see, that they all had in common. One, they encountered the risen Jesus. And two, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Both of which, I note, are available to us today. We know that Paul had an encounter with Jesus. You can read about that earlier on in the book of Acts. And just a few verses before Paul and Silas are thrown into the prison, we see the evidence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God at work in Paul. We, we read of Paul listening and being prompted by the Holy Spirit in the preaching of the gospel. We see God speaking to Paul through a dream. We read about Paul moving in the power of the Spirit in casting out of a demon. Phelan Doherty, one of our apostolic church leaders, comments on this and says, before the coming of the Holy Spirit, whenever the disciples found themselves in a storm, they saw their only hope as getting Jesus to do something. But after the Holy Spirit came, when the disciples found themselves in trouble, they didn't cry out to Jesus to do something. They instead declared what Jesus had already done. No longer did they point to the sky and say, one day the kingdom of God will come. They instead preached the gospel and declared the king had already come and had set up his throne and dominion in their lives. 
this same Holy Spirit that was given has been given to us, to us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus so that we, we can now see as they did the new reality of life with Jesus in which we are already forgiven, provided for and secure in his love. Philem says of Paul and Silas that living by the revelation of the Spirit, they saw what the Spirit saw. They didn't demand that God line up his actions to their reality. Rather, they lined up their actions to God's reality. That in that prison, they were no less loved or provided for in Christ than if they had been in a palace. Paul and Silas had a different perspective because they'd learned to live in a new way, the way of the Spirit. When you read through Paul's letters to the churches, he encourages them in this all the time. He tells them to walk in the Spirit, to set their mind on the things of the Spirit, listen to the Spirit, go on in the things of the Spirit. Because of seeing themselves and the world in which they live in this new way, their response to the situation they find themselves in is totally absurd to the natural mind. So what does this have to do with worship? Well, our worship on one level is a response to what we truly believe and see. If in your heart you believe in a distant and disconnected, powerless God, then generally the way you live your life will reflect that. Your worship, what you value most, what you trust in will reflect what you believe in your heart. If you believe on some level that your own goodness and your own works have achieved your acceptance with God, then your worship is going to reflect that. If, however, on the other hand, you've, by the revelation of the Spirit, received the truth that you were broken, you were lost, you were cut off from God, if not for his loving kindness, and his mercy and grace in sending Jesus to bear your sins in his body on a cross and to deal with it once and for all and to bring you back to God, to deal with your sin. And if you've received that revelation, then it's only natural for tears of joy to fill your eyes when our hearts are turned towards the Savior in adoration. If you're knowing the reality of his power breaking the stronghold of sin, dealing with sin in your life that has, has wrecked you, then it's only natural for a sense of joy and celebration to burst forth when we sing of his name. Extravagant revelation produces extravagant worship because he was forgiven much, loves much. So are you allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal this new life to you in Jesus? Are you making space to, to listen to his voice amidst the clamor and the noise, and the busyness of this life? And are you willing to give up control so that he can fill you anew and lead you into a life of love, joy, peace, and all the fruits that come from the Spirit? If you're rejoicing only when things are going well, it may well be that you've adopted an earthly mentality. 
not one formed by the Holy Spirit. Paul and Silas, however, are rooted and established in a greater reality, the way of the Spirit, the way of Jesus. And so even in that dark dungeon could raise a song of praise, could raise a hallelujah. One Christian writer puts it this way, anyone can be happy in pleasant circumstances, but real joy comes only from within and is a gift available to Christians at all times. Now, I don't know about you, but there's times where I've lost sight of that life that God has for me, uh, where I take up the reins and, and begin running in my own strength, with my own ideas, which leads nowhere. And maybe you're like me. Maybe there's times where that song that you once had in your heart has become so quiet that you're not sure if it's there anymore, where things are not as they used to be, where you've lost that sense of wonder before God. What do we do then? What happens to our worship in those moments where our hearts just feel dull and uninspired? Do we give up? Do we just sit back and hope and, and wait for things to change? Do we cease to worship God when we feel nothing? There's been this philosophy around for a while now around worship, particularly gathered worship, corporate worship, that says this, that in order to be authentic, then I have to be true to my feelings. In other words, if I'm feeling particularly discouraged or if I've had a difficult week, then I'm not going to come to church and pretend everything is okay by acting all spiritual, by raising my hands, by singing 10 decibels louder than everyone else. Now, I have a problem with that, and I think Scripture does too. The problem with that mentality is that it assumes that the expression of worship, when you're not feeling it, is simply a religious front, an attempt to, to fool those around us that we're doing fine, that everything's okay. And now, it certainly can be that, but it can also be that the act of worship through faith can be the mechanism that, that leads us into the presence of God, that, that place that brings freedom, love, uh, um, liberty, that, that the place that we really need to be at. The, the, the psalmist sums this up brilliantly um, in Psalm 42 as he deals with his emotions before God. Let me read this to you. He says, My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshippers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amidst the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. Wow. See, authentic worship doesn't mean that we deny what we feel. On the contrary, we can be totally vulnerable with God. He sees it all anyway. We can be honest. We can be transparent with him. What authentic worship does mean is that 
We don't allow our feelings to dictate whether we'll give God the worship that he deserves. So I'm I'm not suggesting for a moment that that Paul and Silas were so spiritually minded that, that even through the beatings and being thrown into the prison, it just didn't affect them. They they just floated in on on a cloud of glory and sung with the angelic choirs. No, not at all. It took faith to sing. It takes faith to worship through pain. And it takes faith for us to worship amidst our sufferings. My friends, we can worship by faith when we feel lost or when we feel nothing. And in those moments when we feel like we're just crumbling away, we can lean into the unchanging, constant nature of God who is always present, always good, always faithful, always holy, always righteous, always merciful, full of compassion. He's always worthy of our worship when we see it and when we don't see it, when we're on the mountain or when we're in the valley. And that takes faith. And we're encouraged to walk by faith, not by sight. Here's the amazing thing. When you worship, when you choose to worship God, through faith, to lift up the name of Jesus, things begin to change. When you decide to stand on the promises of God, even though you have not yet seen them come to pass, things begin to change. When you tune into one of these services and and rather than just sit there and observe, you decide in faith to engage your heart in worship and in the presence of God, things change. When you wake up tomorrow morning at the start of a new week and decide that whatever comes my way, good or bad, however difficult, I'm going to stand and be amongst those that worship God. As you do that, things begin to change. Now, Paul and Silas, they they saw the power of God break through in a physical way, shaking the foundations of that place where they were bringing freedom and an opening for the gospel, the love of Jesus to bring a jailer to saving faith. We may or may not see the power of God in that way, but I guarantee that when we, with a true heart and with genuine worship, lift up a song to God, then we will see the things that once held us, the things that are holding us back, begin to shake. When we we decide to to engage in the worship of God. Our perspective changes and we can begin to see with new vision, with new eyes. My friends, in his presence there is hope, there is refreshing, there is fullness of joy, there is the refreshing of our souls. So however you feel, wherever you're at, may we be a people of worship. He's given us a voice to sing, and he's given us hands to raise. He's given us knees to bow. He's given us feet to dance. Each of these things are gifts from God.
that he's given us to engage in worship, to express our worship to him. So let every part of you engage in the worship of God. Let every part of your being give glory to God, mind, body, spirit. May you know the power of worship. May you be knowing and responding to the revelation of the spirit. And in faith, determine in your heart today that whatever comes, that you will be amongst those who worship God. That you yourself will stand to worship God through the highs and the lows. May we be a people that worship him. My friends, may we be a church where God is known.